This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning again. Good to see you all. Hey, um, we were traveling through and have been traveling through the Gospel of Mark for the past five to six weeks. Um, Like we said, we're going to pause on that for two weeks, and we're going to have a vision series, hence the building a stronger church. And so today we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you don't have a Bible, why don't you raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high, and then one of the ushers will pass you or give out a Bible to you. And if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep the one that we're handing out as our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of who Christ is. Um, So building a stronger church, and I'll give some more context on this in just a minute. We started a series um, two years ago to the day on which we started saying, what does it look like for us at Redemption Tempe to be the church in this particular city, Tempe, and all the cities surrounding us? And what does that look like? And we said, for three years, we will be addressing issues like discipleship and faith and ownership and community and what that looks like for us. And then also, simultaneously, we started a building campaign in which we were financially responsible for the purchase of this property that we are currently meeting in now, and we went on a million-dollar building campaign uh, two years ago, um, and we got one more year to go, which we're going to be able to address today. And so I want to just note on the front end, different than a normal message today where we'll look through God's Word and who we are as a congregation and what we believe God's called us to, and on the back end be able to talk about financially where we are, where we need to go, and then how you all uh, could be involved in it. And so that's what we'll look at this week. Next week, in part two of the series, we'll come back and look at what does it look like for us to take the next step. Um, That means for us individually, for us as a whole congregation, what does it look like for us to take the next steps? And so there we'll be looking at um, what does it look like to be a biblical community? Also, uh, many of the questions that you guys have been emailing in, and you can still email in to me personally uh, or to the general address that we have on the um, website. Any questions you have regarding Redemption Tempe, I want to be able to answer all of those questions as best as we can um, in the message next week. So today, why are we doing here? What are we doing here? And then next week, what is our next step Um, as a whole. And so that's what we'll look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. Just split your Bible in the middle, turn to the left, and uh, we'll be looking from there this morning. As you turn there, I want to start with sharing the story that I I shared with you guys before and I love. It's a a good friend of mine talks about how he's in Africa, and they were in Africa, and they were doing some different ministry and stuff there, and, um, and they were speaking like we often do in idioms. The problem with idioms is when you begin to use those idioms outside of your own context and your own culture, it doesn't make any sense, right? And so there's this guy who's their driver who's driving around everywhere they need to go, and the Americans kept saying things like when people would get in their way or bother them, they go, what on earth are you doing, right? What on earth are you doing? Like that phrase that people use. He goes, finally, um, the guy who's our driver has been driving us around for these two weeks, and he starts to try to repeat what we say. But it wasn't the same in his broken English. So some guy cuts him off, and the driver goes, what are you doing on earth, right? <laughs> which, which I think is great, right? Why do you even exist, right? 
And the reason why I love that, that is, one, it's funny, and it, it's a reality of, I think people do ask that question at the core level. Um, what am I doing on earth? Like, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Um, I think we ask that lo- on the level of the church. Like, why are we here? Not as this, the church of God's people everywhere, but particularly us as Redemption Tempe. We are, a, we are one congregation amongst nine, but what does it look like uniquely to be a part of redemption? What does it look like for us to be a church that happens to be for the city and the community around us? And here's what we mean by that. We don't think that it is our responsibility to believe in Jesus, trust in Christ, um, know that we're going to be in heaven one day, and then just kind of hang out until Jesus comes back. We believe that we happen to not just be a church in a city, but we're actually a church that's for the city and the community that God has placed us. And so what we, we've done uh, continuously is gone back to Jeremiah 29, primarily because we believe that Jeremiah 29 gives us the framework, the principles of what it looks like to be a community, an alternate community um, amongst people who don't believe like we believe, and yet holding out the hope of the world, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to um, look at this morning. And if you're with me, let's go to Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles in whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, we've got to understand the context here. Before we can even go further, we've got to understand who are these exiles? Why did God send them from Jerusalem to Babylon, right? And so what we have is um, God's people were living in the Holy Land. They were living in Jerusalem. They had the temple there. God's presence was there. And then God would tell them, hey, if you continue to disobey and you continue to sin, um, I'm going to have somebody else come in and they're going to rip you away from here. And and that's exactly what God's people did. They sinned and they sinned and God would send another prophet. Another prophet would say, y'all better behave or God's going to take you away, right? And and Hebrew though. And then they, they would say that, right? Then it happens. Another nation, the Babylonians, they come in and they ransack Jerusalem and they begin to rip the people of Jerusalem away from God's place, away from the holy city, away from the temple, away from their family, away from mama's cooking, all of that, and then bring them to Babylon where people didn't worship God. There was no temple. People didn't know about the one true, the one true God. They, they, they didn't know that. And so um, what happens here, what I believe Babylonians do, and is uh, what one writer calls, um, how do you create a ghetto? And in this, this article that I read, he says, here's how you create a ghetto. You take away the young leaders, all the young up-and-coming leaders, all of those who were thoughtful, all the creatives, all the thinkers that are young, and remove them out of a community. And over a period of time, the older people will die off, and then that community in itself will go down. Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, that's exactly what he does. And he goes and takes these, the young and the brightest of Jerusalem first, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and he takes them to Babylon in order to increase the standards of the people in Babylon. Well, then they go and they burn down the city. And now God's people, for the first time in their walk with God, they find themselves away from God because of their disobedience, and they're in Babylon. And there's kind of two options that they're, they're given. The first option is from the Babylonians. And the Babylonians say, hey, here's what we want you to do. Just assimilate into our culture. Meaning be like us, um, dress like us, work like us, and that's going to make your living a lot better. It's going to make our living a lot better. It would be very good, okay? Just, Just be like us. If you have a faith, keep it. But keep it very, very, very private. Don't let it affect anything that you do, and you'll be just fine. So you can assimilate. That was one way. Or the other way was by the people that were speaking to the, 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 the men and women of God. And they were false prophets. In fact, when you read in, in Jeremiah 28, we hear about them. And these false prophets, primarily Hananiah, were saying this. We're in Babylon, but we don't want to go to the heart of the city. 
Let's stay on the outside. Let's only congregate with people like us and all the other Hebrews, and let's stay away from everybody else because God is only going to be, wants us here for a little bit, and he's taking us back to Jerusalem. Y'all, we going home, right? That's what they said, right? So separate or assimilate. Uh, one way was the Babylonian way. The other way was the false prophet's way. Well, then God gives a completely different way. And when we pick up here, we see God's sovereign hand and what he's doing to care for his people and then those who do not yet believe in him or trust in him. And he says again here, thus says the Lord of hosts. Now he's speaking through Jeremiah, the God of Israel, to the exiles in whom I've sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. We see his hand in it. And he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie, and they are prophesying to you in my they are what they are prophe- prophesying you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill you, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And there's that Jeremiah 29, 11 that we've seen on every coffee mug, every Bible, right? And we usually have, that's one of the most, like, quoted verses in the Bible. Might I add, one of the most misquoted <laughs> uh, verses in the Bible. Usually it's like, hey, you got a test today, son. Your mom tells you, hey, you know, the Lord wants you to prosper. <laughs> and then you get that test grade back, he don't love me, right? <laughs> that, that was a particular promise to a particular people. But God was saying, for 70 years, you are going to be here. For a period of time, you're going to be in this place. And when you're in this place, I don't want you to assimilate. I don't want you to keep your faith private, not by any means. But at the same time, I don't want you to separate either, where your faith is only with people who are like you. But he says, I want you to keep your faith and have not a private faith, but a robust faith in who God is and obedience and following him. But do it in the way that you're around everybody else. And what God was calling his people to do was to be an alternative community. And and when we think about who we are as a church, particularly in Tempe, is that we want to be an alternative community, that we believe when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus Christ and understanding how God has loved and served us through the work of Jesus, that we are to love and serve others. That on the cross that Jesus was saying, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do, that he was dying for those who were his enemies, that we are to give ourselves up for those who may or may not be our enemies, but sure not believe in what we believe, that we care for people, that we, we, we want to be a blessing. And as we try to be this, become this blessing, we actually see these principles here where God gives his people in Jeremiah chapter 29. And so if you go back with me in verse 5, we, we, here's what he says first and foremost. He says, this is what I want you to do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. What he's saying there is get a job. Lay down roots, right? And so what are we saying? Get a job, right? Lay down roots. And then the whole planting uh, gardens and whatnot, we're good at that in Tempe, actually. Um, we take that literally. But that, what that really means there is, is provide for your family and have enough to be able to provide for others. Meaning care about not only your economic welfare, but also the economic health of the community that you're at. That you work in such a way not just to take from the city, but how you're able to provide for your family and provide for those, especially the vulnerable that are around you. So there's this picture of saying, don't run away. Um, lay down roots here. Be here for a while. Now, God is telling the, the, Jerusalem, the, the Hebrews here, be here for a while. Now, 
I don't think God's telling us that you need to live in Tempe for the rest of your life. I'm telling you I want you to live in Tempe for the rest of your life, but God's not saying that, right? People are going to move. And what happens is people say, Ricardo, I'm only going to be here for two years. And I say, stay four. Maybe I'm leaving for eight years. Stay 12. I'm leaving tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> but no guilt, no shame. We understand that we are a transient, transient community, that people come and then people go. Usually people come into Tempe and they go all the way to Gilbert, but they don't go that far, right? But, but by all means, it's just, it's this picture of laying down roots. Now, we believe us as a church, but it's on us to say we want to lay down roots, and we want to lay down roots to say Redemption Tempe, we want to exist in Tempe, whether the leaders that are here now are the leaders here in five years, 10 years, 15 years, we don't know, we hope to be but more than anything, that the gospel is being promoted through the ministry of Redemption Church to lay down those roots. And we're going to talk about more what that looks like. Well, the next thing it says here in verse 6, it says, here's what else I want you to do. I want you to take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in the marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Here's what he's saying. Get married. Marriage in itself is a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful gift. And I've, I've said this before. Sometimes us married people, we give marriage, like, the wrong impression to our single friends. Like, oh, you're going to get married? Yeah. <laughs> right? I've been married for seven years. Right? It's like, how long you been in? Right? It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> marriage is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Right? Right? God doesn't call everybody to get married, and we'll talk about that, but he, but he does call us to get married to be fruitful. That picture there is, again, is take roots, get married, show some responsibility, show a covenant commitment, be with somebody, care for that person. Now, just look at the life of our church, right? Some of you guys have been at the church for only a couple of years. Some of you have been here for three or four years. If you go back, let's just say seven years ago, we probably had 10 to 20% of our people that were married. Um, now we have about 40 to close to maybe 50% of our people that are married. So, so back, back then, uh, well, the next step, he says, is have kids, right? So then you start having babies from there. And so that, that process kind of goes like, you know, you start, you look at some, it starts like this. First, you start by saying, hey, baby. <laughs> you get married and you go, baby, right? And there, there's, there is the process there that you have kids. Now, those, those, those of you who are single, that process is still going on. If somebody starts off by saying, hey, baby, they ain't, they're, not, they're, not, they're not it, right? Don't move on. In fact, we can learn from Sarah. Just a couple more free throws, you know, practice a little bit. Move that guy, that, that guy, right? Find someone who loves Jesus, who loves God, get married. Once you're married, God willingly have babies. Those babies grow up and then let their babies marry other people's babies. I mean, you know what? I've already got arrangement for both my boys. They're set, right? And so that's not, that's not true. I wish, but it's not true, right? But there's this picture of saying having family. Okay, let's go even further than that. Because many of us, when we think about family, we think about our traditional family, as we should. But when it comes to the community of the church, we, as Redemption Tempe, want to be an alternate community so that the family extends further than just a husband and a wife and children. Because many of us, we don't have biological family here. My, my wife and I, our, our families don't live here. You are our family. And that, that means there's a sacrifice there of you welcoming in our kids into your house, and that's it, right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Us welcoming your kids into our house and that we become family. Like they're, they're, we legitimately need that family. Some of the hardest two days of the year for us are Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
um, because those are the times that you're supposed to be with family, and it's been, in our, in our particular history, that we've been able to bring people in our house and people that invite us to their house, and it's been a blast, and we need that. We, we desperately, desperately need that. And there's some of you who are here uh, because God's brought you here for different reasons. Like, usually the way it works for us in Arizona, people come here from all over the place, right? Usually you, you go to ASU. A lot of people come here to go to ASU. Um, so there are thousands, like 70,000 people go to ASU. That's a lot of people, right? And they're here getting undergrads. They're here getting their PhDs, law school, et cetera. And many of you guys are in that position that you didn't grow up here in Tempe or even in Arizona. And so there are many seniors right now that are applying for ASU. They're going to get in. And then after that, <laughs> they're going to get accepted. <laughs> That's a good chance. <laughs> it's not always the greatest chance that you're going to finish, but you'll get in, right? So they're going to move here from all over the place. you got people who move here from Denver, from California. All of our Midwest people, they come here. They leave their moms and everything else that happens in the Midwest, and then they, they move here. And it gives us an incredible opportunity to extend the gospel and also extend welcoming people who don't have roots and family here. Okay, let's go even further. There are many people in our congregation that are called to be single. They're called. Even for a season in their life, they're in that, that position. Um, or even longer. How do we welcome them in when they're not going to have husbands and wives and children that we welcome them as our brothers and our sisters and our children and our grandkids to welcome them? Let's go even further when we talk about this family. There are people, many people of our good friends and our community and our church that have an attraction to the other, to the same sex, and they're going, I'm trying to be consistent with Scripture, what I believe God is teaching me, and I may never be attracted to the opposite sex. So what you have, Ricardo, what you and Holly have is really beautiful. What all these families have, what this couple that have, I may never have that experience. Is there a way that I can find intimacy and deep love in non-sexual ways? And I would say only if we were actually living as a family, as a church. That means when you eat, we eat. When we're going on a family vacation, you're coming on a family vacation. When, when our kids are having birthday parties, you're having a birthday party with us. You, you become as one of our families, not as an outcast, not as a second-rate citizen, not because of your attraction or not. You come, become a part of our family because that's what sacrifice looks like because Jesus laid down his life for us to be a part of his family. Amen? Like, that, like the only way that we can even hold out that, the only way that we have people who are leaving other faith communities to be a part of, of Jesus Christ and his family is that we offer them a rich community, and many of those people have to belong before they ever even believe. And that's how we are able to extend. And so, yes, we're planting gardens. Yes, we're having jobs. Yes, we're providing for our family and caring for others. But when it comes to our family, that my family doesn't exist for our family. We exist for others. That's the very heart of the gospel, is loving God and then loving our neighbors. And the way that we do that is in everything that we do flowing from the relationship that we have in Christ Jesus. And so this, this, this is a part of what it means to be a part of our church and why we believe that we're here in the name of Jesus. Well, well Jeremiah doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this, which was like the unthinkable for them in verse 7. He says, but seek the welfare of the city that I've sent you into, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I, I love that. He says, seek, seek the, uh, the good of the city, the welfare. Now, that word welfare could also mean peace. And we've said this before, that peace in our English language is as far too weak of a word that doesn't begin to communicate what God talks about when he talks about that word in Hebrew, which means shalom. And one of the best definitions of shalom that we have comes from Cornelius Plankton. He says this, in the Bible... 
Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So put yourself, you're a young Hebrew person. You've been ripped away from your family. Um, Your city's been burned down. Um, you, You find yourself in this new land. You don't really know how to worship God. You're trying to figure out how do I worship God in the land that people don't worship like me. And God is saying, here's what I want to do with these people who have done these things to your family. I want you to pray for them. I'm not just praying for them individually. Pray for these places. Pray for this city. And as you begin to seek the shalom, the way it ought to be in this city, as you begin to pray for it, as you begin to work towards it in God's name, in God's name, that means that's truth and justice. That you, you never can separate the truth of God and loving of your neighbor. And, and oftentimes at Christians, we, we, we kind of take part sides. We're either going to be a Bible church and we're going to talk about the atonement of Christ and obedience and what we need to do to know God and get to heaven. Um, or we're going to be a church that begins to pour ourselves out for the social realities in our neighborhoods and our communities. But those two things never come together. And I would say you cannot be the church without understanding the life and the blood and the calling of Jesus and then living in response to Jesus Christ and loving your neighbor in very tangible ways, which happens to be most often socially. It's caring for the community that's around us. Um, that is a living out and the outward uh, expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life. If my neighbor is thirsty, it is on me to get that person water. If my neighbors don't have adequate education, it's on me as a neighbor, as a child of God, to do what I can to help them. Because that is my neighbor. And my neighbor is not just someone who votes like me. I'm a neighbor is not just someone who looks like me, who or believes like me. Um, he could be or she could be someone who totes a gun or doesn't tote a gun, who can eat green or only eat greens or could be hipster or, in our city, hipster. Um, um, it doesn't, doesn't matter who they are. They're my neighbors. And to be obedient to God and, and the response of the gospel is to love them and serve them. And so when we talk about what does it mean for us to be redemption, it is looking at the life of Jesus and the life that he's called us to be. Because everything that Jeremiah is talking about, we see embodied in Jesus. That Jesus is the one who came here to set up shop. Like when he came in, Jesus put on flesh and he entered into brokenness. Jesus didn't save us from afar. He didn't snap his finger and say, people are going to be saved and people are going to be redeemed. He put on flesh and he moved into brokenness. He moved into sin. He moved into evil. And he did it in all to begin to redeem it and to restore it only through him. The only way we live as a church is through the work of Jesus. The reason why we say all of life is all for Jesus, because we really believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And that's not a slogan. It's not just a t-shirt. It's the way that we live in Jesus' name. That Jesus is the one that starts a new family. A new family of people that become children of God who were not naturally born, but he lays down his life that we may be adopted into a family in which we were not looking for, but our father was looking for us, and he gave his son for us. Jesus is the one who ultimately seeks the shalom of the city because he was the one who promises to restore all things. So those of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, who trust in Jesus, I don't care what your home church is, even if redemption isn't your church, there's no way that you can come to grips with, grips with the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving God and not be able to love your neighbor. So when we started this thing two years ago, we said we want to be that church. We believe it is the gospel that actually propels us in word and deed to love people in that way. And as elders and as leaders, we begin to talk about what does that look like for us to be able to lay down roots 
And to be able to lay down roots, we needed to make sure that we were permanently going to be here because our bullseye has always been Tempe. Our bullseye has been, let's get Tempe, preferably North Tempe, and everywhere else around. But if we're aiming at something, we're going to aim at Tempe, and then we're going we're, we're gonna to go around there, right? And we realize that that's kind of what's happened in our church. About 40% of our people live here in Tempe, and about 60% live outside of Tempe and are part of this congregation. And so with that, we were renting different uh, buildings and places, and we probably had nine different locations which we were meeting. And at this time, we were having knowing several churches that were losing their places within Tempe to be able to worship. Another thing that was happening, too, that was unique is we were predominantly a night church, meaning people went to church at night. Um, The majority of our congregation, probably 80% attended in the evening. And just by a compare and contrast where we are now, um, if we have, we'll probably have about 1,100 adults that will show up today. 700 to 800 of them will show up in the morning. Um, people get up now um, as opposed to in the evening, right? And part of that is just the way that we've grown up. But now what that meant, though, was many of the buildings that we were leasing gave us an opportunity to worship at, at night, but not necessarily in the morning. But then when it came to uh, some things that were happening in the city that schools were kind of being shut down because people were deeming Tempe not a place to necessarily raise, raise families, which I disagree with. I have to. Um, and, um, and we're moving to different places. And so there were these vacant elementary schools. And so we went to the city and said, hey, no one's using this elementary schools. And they gave us a criteria of who could use it. We felt like we met that criteria. And they said no. And so our lease was coming up here. And we're going, okay, where can we lease that? And we, we went everywhere. I mean, we went everywhere trying to find somewhere. And then I believe it was Jason Raber, one of our pastors, like, hey, why don't we look to see if we can buy this building? I said, oh, that's smart, right? But let's look elsewhere first. And so there was a few options we were looking at. And so here's the property options we had. The first one was this really cool pharma building right off the the train. And it was $12 million. And so that was very easy to say no to. Um, (laughs) Fox Restaurants bought it. It's the yard now over there on Tempe. So they had more money than than redemption. (laughs) And it gives us good entertainment. So Uh, Broadway building was uh, right there on Broadway, right in Dorsey, like right across the street from, um, from Los Fays. We thought, this has to be godly. Um, and um, that didn't work. Um, it was $10 million. And then so we finally went to this building, and, um, and the way that worked is we were leasing this building, had been in this building for some time, and it was working for us primarily because as our people were moving to Chandler, Gilbert, Phoenix, Mesa, other places, it was easy access off the 101. And we start seeing the most growth here and the different types of people that were starting to show up here, different meaning older than 25, um, different. Um, and so... <laughs> With that, we just started seeing just a diversity begin to, to, to swell. And so um, Ed Option was a school. They owned the building. Unfortunately, um, as they were leasing it to us, they lost the building to the bank. And the bank owned it. And so we said, let's go to the bank and let's see how much it costs. And they told us it was $7 million. We walked away from that. Neil Pitchell, who runs all of our finances and all of Redemption, said, what do you think you guys can do in Tempe? Um, to purchase it. Like, what number could you get it to? And I said, man, well, if you can get it to $4 million, that'd be great, but I don't think they're going to come down $3 million. And he says, listen, his word's not mine. I'm a Jewish man. We can make it happen. <laughs> I said, it's like, you know, you know how some people, some people can say jokes that other people can't say? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's how that one was. Well, he came back and said, hey, we got it down to $3.7 I'm like, you came through, my man, right? <laughs> So with that, we said, we think we can move forward on it. And again, that was two years ago. And so we went into uh, our purchase phase. And so we, we borrowed $2 million from the bank as a church. And then as reserves, so redemption as a whole, 
um, this was something that was completely something that we didn't know was going to happen, and it happened. It was amazing. Well, we're in a leadership team meeting. That's all of the uh, local congregational pastors together, and um, many of them that don't have permanent property were saying, in order for the health of Redemption Church as a whole, we need a permanent place for Redemption Tempe. Like, we want a church, a building for us to meet at and do ministry at in Redemption, and uh, in Tempe, that we don't end up in some other city that we don't want to be in. And so we're willing to look at the reserves and, and, um, and give money to Redemption Tempe. And so they looked at me and said, Ricardo, would you guys want to receive a gift of a million dollars? I said, yes. <laughs> then I prayed and I said, and God says yes too, uh, apparently, right? <laughs> so they gifted us a million dollars. And then what we came back and asked and said, if we could take $700,000 and borrow it from reserves, we'll pay it back, and that way we wouldn't have interest on it, and then we would only have to do a capital campaign as opposed to $2.7 million for a million dollars. Two years ago on March 3rd is when we started our campaign. Um, we started our campaign to raise a million dollars, and what we were going to do with that is $700,000 was going to go back to re reserves to care about the other congregations that will be in a similar position that we are in now, um, and also more ministry that's happening in churches that we're planning in the country and outside of the country, and that was our responsibility that we said we can do. Um, 300000 of that was going to go to the reno renovation of the property. And $300,000 is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money when you have a building that was built in 1968. And so first thing we did is we dumped the, the first half of it, uh, part of it, into children's ministry uh, because we really did believe that that was the most important part for us to do. We believed we wanted a space for our children to be able to hear the gospel and grow. And we did believe that they were the future, not in a Whitney Houston way, but we did believe that they were... They were the future, and we put our money there, and we did that first, and that place looks way better than what it used to. Our next phase, as you guys probably saw coming in, um, is the lobby space, and so we ripped up the carpet so it no, no longer looks like someone was murdered on the floor out there. Um, <laughs> And then there'll be some new painting in there. Um, um, in some places, we're not going to have gray everywhere. We think we've convinced you guys that you're sinners, and so we can take some of the gray away now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then we're going to take some of the wallpaper off in the bathroom. Ladies, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> And, um, and just doing little things like that, and then also we're going to be able to do just a couple minor, minor details here in the sanctuary, and then the biggest price is actually going to go towards the parking lot. I know you guys off-road and go off-roading when you guys come into our parking lot, and so we're looking to resurface and repave the parking lot here this summer, and you've got to do it in the middle of the heat, and that money will be exhausted from there. But here's what we have now. We have up until this day, it's been two years, we've raised $650,000, which is a lot of money towards our campaign. We have $350,000 to go of our responsibility. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey, can you guys come to the 930 next week? <laughs> um, $350,000 to go, which it, it can seem like a lot of money because it is a lot of money. Jason Raber, who does the finances for us here, punched it and he says, here's the deal. If we have 1,100 adults, right? That's what we usually have on a Sunday. If 1,100 adults gave $333, we would finish it. We'd finish it. Now, I know most of you guys aren't going, oh, I had that right here. <laughs> you know, like, so... There is a sacrifice for it because it's above and beyond your normal giving, and most of you guys are a part of that. You're a part of that through your pledge. You've already entered into it, and so I know for, for this point of it, you're going like, I'm already involved, and some of you are going, I didn't even know any of that was going on, and some of you are going, this is my first time here. Uh, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to ask anything of you, but here's what we're going to do right now because we're going we're gonna to close here and a couple more details and then some prayer. I'm going to ask the ushers to take those pledge cards, and they're going to come around, and they're going to hand one. Just go ahead and take one, um, and they're going to hand a pledge card out. But I want to I walk through this because I know how these things usually go um, in, in terms of people asking for money. And I want to be able to ask it in a redemption way. So here's what we have. 
With 350,000 to go, we need for those of you guys, first, those of you who've already committed, those of you who have started the pledges two years ago and are committed, some of you can look at your finances and go, um, we are in a financial situation that's better than it was in two years, and we're asking you to perfectly consider that you would be able to do more. And you could fill it out today and put it in the offering boxes, or what you can do is go home and I ask you to pray about it and come back next week and drop it off in the offering boxes. Um, you can tear off the bottom part, and that will show you different ways in which you can get there's some of you who are saying, we've already committed, and our finances have stayed the same, and we're just going to stay to what we committed. God bless you. Um, pray still for us and pray for this, and stay where you are. And then, honestly, there are some of you who are going, our financial situation's worse than what it was when we started, and we can't even hold up to the commitment that we said we were going to. Go lower. Go lower. If you can't give um, above and beyond to the point where you said, don't, don't stretch yourself to the point where you can't eat, Right? And so perfectly consider that and, and, and do that. Now, the rest of you who are going, I'm new to this church. Um, we're asking you as a part of this church, we need all hands on decks. We're, we're not a normal uh, church of 1,200 people where a million dollars comes in one day. I was talking to one pastor in the valley, and he goes, yeah, the first day we raised 2.5 million. I just walked out and said, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reality of it is we need everybody. We need the widow's might. We need everybody to be able to participate. And so if you've been a part of this church and you're calling Redemption Tempe your home, we'd ask that you look at your finances and you would, you would sacrifice for us to continue to do ministry here. Um, and if you're here and you're going, this is my first time here. Um, I, I didn't expect all this. Listen, we, we, didn't, we don't expect you to give anything, right? Come back next week. We'd love to have you. Come back the week after that. We'd love to have you. If you come fourth time, we're going to ask you. Uh, and so, <laughs> just joking. So, uh, so here's what this means. Before, before we uh, get into the pray and the give and serve, we promised you guys this. And by God's grace, we've been able to do this. We said that we would not purchase the building and let it sit here. One of it is we know that churches in themselves buy property. We don't need all this property here. What we really needed when we first got it was this building and some classrooms and some office space. Now, our classrooms have exploded our, because you guys took that literally. You guys got married, and you said, hey, baby, and then you said, baby, right, within some of you. Very short. And so we have lots of kids, and that's a good thing. But we said we wanted to use it for the community. And so right now, there's about 10 organizations and their schools that are using this place. Ed Options was so gracious to us to allow us to use this space, and more space than what we were paying for when we were leasing it. So we allowed them to continue their lease here for a long time so they can have a school here. Tempe Prep uses the gym, and then they use the football field because we didn't need the gym or the football field. <laughs> and so they, they use that. Um, we have um, Young Life offices here, so Young Life East Valley as well as ASU. Um, there's AZ Assist, which is an organization that helps autistic kids. There's a LEAPS program, which is an after-school program for the city of Tempe for kids with disabilities. Um, there's an Indio Pack, which is a, a bunch of um, people who are from India who live here now that worship together here um, the first Saturday of every month. There's been multiple things that this building has been used for that I can't even begin to describe. Um, some stuff that I go... That's interesting that these people are here. And so if you just come here in the middle of the week, you'll see a lot of activities happening. And we want it to be a very active community, but we don't want it to be our programs. Uh, we want our programs primarily to be you all and the city around us and so that we can invite the city to use our space at a cheap price or no price at all to be able to bless them. And we've been able to do that because of your guys' financial giving to the giving fund as well as you going above and beyond towards this campaign. It's a stage for us to be able to grow, and so that's been really good. And here's the three things we're asked. Pray, give, and serve. And we're going to talk more about that serve part next week. What does it look like to get invested into the heart of, in the heart of our church? And so do this. This upcoming Thursday, 
we are going to have a prayer night where we're going to walk everybody around the, con- the campus. Most of us have not seen the campus. Believe it or not, there's rooms that I haven't even seen yet. And we're going to walk in there. We're going to need prayer. Walk into some of these rooms um, when you see how dark they are. <laughs> um, but we want you all to come. If 800 of you come, 800 of you come. Please RSVP. Uh, we want children involved and everything. And so what we'll do is we'll walk and we'll pray and we'll retell the story. And then we'll come back here. We'll eat together. And then we'll be able to facilitate any questions that you guys have. It is massively important for us to be with you guys in this process. Um, and we'd love for you guys to be here. And you may have questions that you want to ask that we haven't answered yet. And we'd love for that to happen. But RSVP at RedemptionAZ.com um, so that we can know how many are coming and so we can be able to provide uh, delicious pizza and salad for you guys um, for, that, for that night. So will not you guys pray with me, and um, let's pray for this, and, and just pray for me for the rest of the day. It's not, this is not always the easiest message, and I still got two more of these to go. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you've called us to be here, and um, for the time that we are here, Lord, as individuals, God, that you would allow us to lay down roots to be a blessing, to be a blessing at ASU, to be a blessing at Arizona Mills, and all in between, to understand the ethnicities that you brought here, to understand the nations you brought here, to understand the stories that you brought here. God, that we would be humbled by your grace continuously, motivated by the gospel and filled by your spirit, Lord, to be your people in this place. That we would indeed uh, understand what family looks like in the biblical sense, to extend ourselves, Lord, uh, to care for those in our community. That we would understand service, to care for those who are marginalized, Lord. That we would understand what it means for us to be a sustainable church financially, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally to care for the community around us. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' good name. Amen.